Hey people, it's me, Lisa Lillian, also known as Hungry Girl. I am here at Hungryland today for another fine episode of the Hungry Girl Chew the Right Thing podcast. Today, it's a little bit of a different day. We've got uh, Mikey here producing. He's not part of the podcast. Jamie is here. And hi, Jamie. Hi. How are you? I'm great. It's a good day when I have Lolly next to me. Lolly is next to you. Mm -hmm. And we have a little bit of a different show today. Um, I don't want to, I'm going to throw this over to Jamie and she's going to tell you what's going to be happening today. Hi, guys. So this is really exciting. I'm, I'm, I think this is going to be a really fun episode. It's sort of a weight loss success story, but it's also a behind-the-scenes look on how Lisa became Hungry Girl. So this is Lisa's Hungry Girl success story. And I'm excited because obviously I know a lot about you, but I feel like I'm always learning new things. And it'll be fun to give the audience kind of that background of how you became Hungry Girl that you are today. This, I know. I'm, I'm excited, too. And it's weird because you've never really interviewed me. Mm-mm. You sit across from me. Like, Jamie, her office is next to my office. But for the most part, her office is across from me at a desk. Yep. Right? And we work very closely together. Mm-hmm. But this is the first time you're actually going to be asking me questions. I'm a little nervous. You can rate my interview at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Ten. Oh, good. Okay. So... I think to get started, like, I would just love to hear kind of more about your experiences growing up and your relationship with food and and what that was kind of like for you as a kid and teenager. Um, I was always food obsessed uh, pretty much from the time I could remember. Like, all of my earliest memories have to do with food. And I don't know, like, if you think back when you're a kid, like, for me, everything that stands out involves the way something tasted or where I was when I tried this food for the first time, I think my earliest memory was me like standing in some kind of a playpen with my sister walking up to me and she was eating pizza. She's five years older than me and I wanted to eat the pizza. So like, I don't, I don't remember anything. I didn't eat the pizza. I remember feeling that. I remember there are certain times where I'll remember flavors and tastes from things that I ate as a child. And I'll say that tasted like this ice cream that I had when I was five. And I don't know what it is. I have like a photographic memory when Mm -hmm. it comes to food. Um, But that being said, I don't know that I had the healthiest relationship with food because I grew up with a mom that was always on every fad diet under the sun. Mm -hmm. I was chubby. I am not tall. I've never been tall. I've always been short. And I was a little bit overweight as a child. It wasn't, you know, very overweight. But Mm -hmm. if I had to lose 10 or 15 pounds, like I remember people saying like, you know, one boy called me meatball. No. Yeah. Yes. And it's to this day, it stands out in my in my head. I remember where I was. I remember his name. I'm not going to out him on the podcast. But so I remember feeling like, oh, maybe I should go on diets with my mom. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And I was on fad diets from the time I was like eight or nine, which I guess these days would be considered really unhealthy and yeah, frowned upon. Yeah, pretty young. But I, re- I remember like thinking about it. Like I remember pants feeling tight, me feeling like I wasn't as tiny as the other girls in class mm-hmm. and, and, and also really respecting my mom and seeing what she was eating and wanting to be a part of it. But mm-hmm. like I would take lunch to school and my lunches would be the most boring lunches in the world. There was something called protein bread, which by the way, I wish existed now. It was like 45 calories a slice. It was high in protein. Thomas's made it. If you're listening bring it back. But I had that with cheese. Back in the day, I thought Mm. like two slices of American cheese would be a good choice. And it was on two slices of protein bread. I'd bring an apple and a nesty diet iced tea. Like what a depressing lunch that was for a child. Do you ever trade? 
No, I wouldn't because I would. I, I felt like I would be like cheating. Like I did. Sometimes my mom would give me chicken noodle soup in a thermos. Like I was always like excited if something was hot in my lunch. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I was like trying to eat what I thought was healthy food, and always like envying everybody else's mm-hmm. Doritos and yodels and other snack cakes and things. But I, no matter how hard I tried, I was still kind of chubby, mm-hmm. and it was always like a thing. It was always on my mind, and I was always thinking about. Wow, uh, am I, you know, am I chubby? Uh, and should I be eating this? And why am I thinking so much about food all the time? <laughs> so, what about college? Did anything change when you kind of left the nest? Um, in college, I I feel like I I didn't gain the freshman fifteen, probably because I was already probably up <laughs> you already at fifteen. Had it. <laughs> I, already, I already had it exactly. Um, but I feel like. I went up and down in college and college is tough because I do remember we'd go out drinking, even though I was probably not old enough. And afterwards you'd go to Denny's for a grand slam breakfast (laughs) at like 3am and you'd be eating eggs and pancakes and sausages and, and it was hard ordering pizza in the middle of the night. If I did that now, I'd be probably up 40 (laughs) pounds, but I guess I was like everybody else in college, but I I never, I think at the end of college, I sort of got a more of a handle on Mm -hmm. my eating. Well, so how did that lead to, how how overweight were you and how did you kind of start to lose the weight? I was probably, I probably was like 15, 20 pounds overweight from most of my, you know, my teenage, my, and my young adult life. And I would always go up and down. Mm-hmm. I really would. I would, I would yo-yo. And probably because I was under the impression, and this is also because of how I grew up in my family and the mentality back then it's a very 1980s way of thinking, like you're on a diet or you're off a diet. If you're on a diet, like I didn't know, I literally would think, no matter how good I was being, if I had a bite of the peach pie at some point, my diet was derailed and mm-hmm. there's no way you could lose weight. I didn't realize that it was about how many calories are you eating, how many calories are you burning. And so I was a very on the diet, off the diet person. And so when I was being what I considered good, I'd find it easy to lose weight. But the minute I went off of that diet plan, I would gain it back. So I was a little bit of a yo-yoer, but more like 10 or 15 pounds Mm -hmm. yo-yoing, you know, not like huge amounts of weight. And when did that change for you? When did you lose the weight and keep it off? Because you've been maintaining your same weight for as long as I've known you, for sure. I think at some point when I was in my, my late 20s, I think I think that was around the time. I wish I could remember, but I it occurred to me that this is like it has to be a lifestyle, mm-hmm. um, and and I didn't always master it. It's and as I'm speaking, I'm thinking about more. Like even in my my big my big issues were in my 20s that I snacked too much mm-hmm. on the wrong things, and I didn't identify trigger foods. And I have to say, there was a turning point in, when I was working for Warner Brothers that I was meeting with this trainer. He was like a a model that was on the cover of Men's Health many times. And he said something that really resonated. He was like, you know, I think you should avoid eating certain types of carbs at certain times. And I started thinking, I'm like, you know, those carbs is what, they they just do me in. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, my biggest downfall. So I'm going to avoid them for a while. And I think, I don't know why, but that day, I -hmm. decided I was no longer going to eat starchy carbs. And I call starchy carbs things like pasta, rice, potatoes, bread, anything that is like a starch. No Mm -hmm. no noodles, no potatoes I would eat. Uh, Even if I ate a vegetable soup, I would pick the potatoes out. That's (laughs) how strict I became. And by doing that, I lost so much weight. I lost close to 30 pounds. Oh, wow. Like I probably had gained a little bit more weight. And mm-hmm. I at, at some point, 
I remember we, my husband and I were watching a TV movie and I was like, this is it. Tomorrow I'm starting my new life. And we went to Houston's and I had like this cheeseburger, french fries, ice cream sundae situation thing. So you had a last meal? Last meal. And that was it. The next day, like I ditched all the starchy carbs, the weight started to fall off of me. And it really was at that point when I said, hey, wait a minute. It's about identifying things that you can live with forever. Mm -hmm. And I knew that after, it was a full year. It was around close to the time I was getting married uh, that I hadn't had any starchy carbs. And then I said, I'm going to have to bring them back in my life. And that's when I discovered Weight Watchers and Counting Points Mm -hmm. because I said, this is going to help me figure out a way to incorporate some of those things back in limited quantities in a smart way. Um, And so I did that. But I never lost sight of the fact that, hey, this is forever. This is not like a game. Mm-hmm. I'm not going on and off anything. I just have to live like this for the rest of my life. And that's probably when it changed for me. I don't think I knew that about you, that you followed Weight Watchers and you were a point counter. I did. That's after I lost the weight. Yeah. So after, for maintenance. For maintenance. That's you, when I started. Do you still count points or do you count calories? Now it's more about calories because I do believe that calories count. And I know... I know people are always saying, you know what, a calorie isn't a calorie. And I know it's not. Not mm-hmm. every calorie is the same. But calories do count, so I count calories. Mm-hmm. Not every day, not strict, but I, I jot it down. I, I take notes. I roughly know how many calories I'm eating. So kind of switching gears and thinking about Hungry Girl, when did you first realize that you were good at creating recipes and finding ways to cut calories? When did that sort of gel for you? It's funny, even when I was struggling with weight, I knew I was good at cutting calories. Like my first foray into like slashing calories was probably like all the coffee drinks I made. And I became, it was even before like baristas were like a big thing. It was like coffee drinks were not as huge as they are now, but I was always finding way to cut calories with the coffee drinks. And then even I do think in college I used to make this stuffed baked potato that became sort of legendary in my Mm -hmm. circle. And it was such a weird recipe. It was like I would take a potato, I would microwave it, then I'd mix in some like low-fat cheese. And I I think it was like liquid fat-free coffee mate, (laughs) which tasted amazing. And I would stuff it back in the potato with like spices and bake it. But it was a way, it was really like early Hungry Girl. Mm -hmm. And a funny story, like this is totally true. I think I always wanted to help people, even when I was battling, you know, the 10, 15 pound weight loss thing myself. Because I had a boyfriend when I was like in my 20s and he was chubby. And I wrote up a diet plan for him. (laughs) (laughs) And I gave it to him for our anniversary. How long did that relationship last (laughs) after that? (laughs) It ended pretty quickly. Not because of the diet plan. It just, it probably just wasn't a right relationship. But he did. He wanted the help. But I found the diet plan. And it was really very funny. (laughs) But but to this day would probably hold up. Yeah. So how did Hungry Girl come into play? Um, Well, you know... I, it's interesting. I, when I was working in entertainment, we had this like corporate therapist come in who was trying to help fix our department and he interviewed people about themselves and and he interviewed people that reported to you and people that you report to. And when he came back to give me my report, he said to me, you know, I don't want to get in trouble because I'm sure they people who work here don't want you to leave but everyone says that you're very entrepreneurial and that you know you you always want to do everything yourself and why don't you start your own business and I was like because I talk myself into and out of ideas all the time Mm -hmm. it's like I I have all these ideas but I think about what the roadblocks are and immediately I talk myself out of it and shortly after that 
uh, the idea for Hungry Girl popped into my head. And it, it probably was around the same time, like everybody was throwing a lot of money and trying to build these huge portals online um, that really didn't make sense. I mm. remember there was something called, it was an allergy portal. I can't even remember what it was called. Very it was specific. Gazuntite. <laughs> it was gazuntite.com. <laughs> it was the allergy portal. And I was like, what? That sounds like they were advertising so much on radio. I know, like every minute I heard radio ads. And I even myself, when I worked at Warner Brothers, we started something called Entertainedom. And when I was at Nickelodeon, we started another portal. We would hire all these huge executives that were making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year with no business model at all. And I, just, I thought it's not a great idea to put out a whole bunch of content that appeals to a very small number of people, mm -hmm. spend a lot of money doing it. And so for some reason, I was like, if I could just share my food ideas from like a regular person's perspective, there were no blogs. There were no bloggers. So this was a really novel idea mm -hmm. back in the early 2000s to just be a regular person that had food ideas and solutions. And I said, if I could just share my ideas, maybe it would catch on and people would like it and they'd want to tell their friends. And I wanted to make it a very small amount of information. Mm -hmm. And then I said, well, what if I just do it every day? Because I had subscribed to a website called Daily Candy. Oh, I remember them. They, they were great. Daily Candy. This woman, Danny Levy, was brilliant. She lived in New York. She would send out, like, what's hot in the city every single day. And it was so entertaining to read. And I said, if I just take this concept and I try to make it national and make it about food, because, again, email marketing was not a thing. Mm -hmm. There were no email marketers. Nobody, your inbox was empty. It was like your mom saying hi. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, if I send my food ideas to friends, maybe they'll share it with their friends, and so on and so on. And so I decided to launch Hungry Girl just to do that as a daily email service. Um, I had a lot of experience with branding and, and making things look good aesthetically, so I wanted to create a logo. The logo still exists today. I was inspired by a notebook that I found at CVS. What, what, it just had pretty colors on it. I still have the notebook <gasps> in my drawer. Can we take a picture of you with it and Absolutely. put it on the food page? Yes, these are the colors that inspired me to start Hungry Girl. It was 2002. I... And then I just put it together and said, here we go. And I remember hitting send on that first email. It went to about 50 people or so. It was like friends and family that I said, hey, are you interested in this? And mm -hmm. they said yes. And I remember saying, wow, this is a big commitment. I'm going to do this every day until I don't know when. And it's been almost 17 years. Wow. When did you send that first email? It was early April 2004. I remember things that were in it. It was Hungry Girl News. I, ha I have to say, the content was very similar to ha what it is now. Monday was sort of news day. Now we've got spotted on shelves, but it's basically news. I talked about a grapple, which was a grape-infused apple that I had found at Ralph's. And I talked about a new show on Food Network, and it was, that was it. It was, it was news. When did you realize that you had something? When did you realize it was going to be more than a hobby and really get out there? Well, I mean, and when I started it, I I really thought it could be something. I said, I'm really hoping it catches on. And I never really wanted it to be a hobby. And I did make a promise to my husband that I was not going to, like, drain our savings account <laughs> and, like, lose all of our money. But I, I think it, it took a while to explain to people what it was. People are like, why did you leave your job as an executive at Warner Brothers? What are you doing? I don't really understand. But after seeing the excitement from the audience and seeing that it was growing and it was catching on and people would share it with their friends and I was getting new subscribers every day. I thought there was something there pretty, pretty early on. So when did recipes come along? So in the beginning, I'm glad you asked that. It was not about 
recipes. It was more about like, this is interesting food news, or here's a trend, or here's a product that I found that I liked. And I, I, for some reason, just put recipes in one of the emails, and it was like five times as popular as anything else. I know what recipe it was. Wait, what was it? Was it the potato? It was the baked potato. (laughs) That's really funny. See, it came back. I was like, (laughs) I might as well try the potato. And people loved it. And I said, okay, recipes are where it's at. And Mm -hmm. then recipes, it was probably months into Hungry Girl. Mm -hmm. And it was before you were on board even. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yep. But I was a fan, so I I saw the potato. (laughs) You did. You were. I know, Jamie. That's. Yeah. It's. That's. I can't wait to do your story and talk about how you were a hungry girl fan, and now you've been working with me. I mean, for thirteen over thirteen years. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. You know, I just want to add one more thing. You know, as I was thinking about building a business, I think the thing that really pushed me over the edge one day was how I was, after I had lost all that weight, Mm -hmm. I was eating these pastries from a local bakery that was called the, it was, I don't know if I should give you the name, but it implied that the pastries were lower calorie and I just didn't believe the calorie counts. So I found a local lab. It was local. It was like an hour away. I (laughs) drove there. I paid so much money to have these pastries tested myself and I found out they had twice as many calories as I thought and as I was driving back it it occurred to me I'm like why I'm a little crazy because like I who else would do this like who's going to take pastries to a lab I'm like I need to help people in some way and that is the thing I think really pushed me over the edge and caused me to start Hungry Girl Um, I wanted to be that person that could get the answers and find the information and the products that that you just didn't have time to do. I wanted to be your best friend that gave you the 411 on everything food. All right, side question. Do we have to worry about products not being the calories that they say they are? I feel like for the most part, and like, uh, you know, we do say this in the daily emails, I I think if anything comes from a large, reputable company that the stats are pretty on target, but if you see things locally or like mom-and-pop brands that seem too good to be true, that... Sometimes they're not. It, it, it could just be a mistake, an honest mm-hmm. mistake. And sometimes there are big brands, but like it's such a rabbit hole, you can't really go down that rabbit mm-hmm. hole of like testing everything at the lab. That's why if it, stick with foods that seem like they're healthy, mm-hmm. and usually they are. But if anything seems too good to be true, like you're cutting corners or you're like, you know, pulling the wool over your own eyes by right. eating something, eh, I'd say go easy on it. Yeah, I think that's a good takeaway. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. So I know you started Hungry Girl to help people. What do you think are kind of some of the biggest problems that people are facing today in terms of weight loss and food? Um, That's a really good question. I I feel like in general, people want the easy way out. People are always looking for some kind of a magic bullet. They want to just, they don't, I don't know if it's, I don't want to say people are lazy, but they don't want to put as much effort into it as they really need to, to master and tackle the problem. Mm -hmm. So they want to hear that, um, you know, if I eat all natural foods or if I eat organic foods or if I eat only whole foods, that that's going to solve their problem. And they're not realistic about what the real issues are. And the real issues are simply you're eating, for the most part, too much and the wrong things. You may not be moving enough. Um, exercise does come into play, but I, I have heard from experts that it's 80% about what you eat. So people want a magic bullet that just doesn't exist. And a lot of times they don't want to even be responsible. Mm-hmm. Like they don't want to take responsibility. They want to blame situations mm-hmm. and say everything's out of control. Um, but I think the good news is once people realize and 
something, some kind of switch goes off in their head and they say, this is a problem. I want to tackle it. I'm going to find a solution. The minute you start and you start to lose weight, it feels so good. Mm -hmm. And whoever, I don't, it was probably a Weight Watchers leader back in 1972 who said, nothing, nothing tastes as good as being thin feels. I knew you were going to say that. I remember that. It's so true. It's so true. So when people get a taste, no pun intended, of that weight loss and what it's like to start dropping weight and waking up in the morning and feeling your clothing fit you better and feel looser, that's what really helps inspire people. But a lot of times people find it hard to get into that frame of mind and they don't want to do the hard work and figure out what it is that's going to work for them. Mm-hmm. What works for you? For me, it really is all about still avoiding those co- those carbs because it's like, I, I don't want to say I'm a carb addict, but to some degree I might be because I know my trigger foods are things that are like very bready and chips and salty snacks. And if I start with those, I can't stop. So I avoid those altogether. Mm-hmm. And I am a volume eater. So I like big portions mm-hmm. when I am eating. Um, and I say when I am eating because I've been intermittent fasting mm-hmm. now. And for me, that's working. And it didn't, it might not have worked for me, my younger self, mm-hmm. but me now, I did notice of the past like three or four years, you know, as everybody, we get older, it's harder to keep weight off. It's harder to lose weight. That intermittent fasting works for me. So mm-hmm. I, I couple that with, Still my volume eating Mm -hmm. because I love, but I'm eating healthy foods. I eat a lot of lean meats, a lot of fish, a lot of sushi with very limited rice, lots and lots of fruits and vegetables. I drink a lot of liquids, try to drink a lot of water, but it's usually Perrier. Um, And I do avoid all the starches. I really Mm -hmm. don't eat bread or sandwiches or pastas very much at all. So thinking about some of the food finds that we write about, how do you go about, like, how do you distinguish sort of the smart choices? There's so many things that are marketed as healthy. How do you kind of weed through that and determine the really smart choices? Um, that's, that's also a really good question because a lot of times people want to know, like, if they want to submit something to be considered for Hungry Girl, they'll say, what are your, you know, what's the list of, of mm-hmm. things that I have to what are the qualifications? Right. What does my product need to have? How many calories does it need to be? There are no answers mm-hmm. like that. So I think it's it's all on a case by case. So if something is a cookie, I might say, oh, a hundred calorie pack of Oreos or a thin Oreo might be a good choice if you're craving Oreos mm-hmm. because it's a little bit reduced in calories. Is it a healthy food? No. Not everything I write about is healthy, but I feel like when we put it out there and we say this is a sometimes food or if you feel like you really want a chocolate cookie this is your best option i feel like the reality is i I, it's like instinct for me Mm -hmm. like i think i know what people want and what they like and i know what products are going to satisfy certain needs like i would i might say no to something that someone else would say is healthy Mm -hmm. why because i look at the serving size whether it's a granola that, I mean, this just came up. Like somebody was saying, is this cereal a good choice for me? And it was three quarters of a cup was almost 300 calories with a lot of fat and a lot of sugar. And I'm like, it's not going to fill you up and it's Mm -hmm. 300 calories. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to have 300 calories, that's a big commitment for me. I want something to fill me up. So everything is done on a case-by-case basis. I have to flip the bag around. I have to look at how many servings it is. Is it a realistic portion size? Is the flavor good? Does it it's it's hard. It's hard to say. Well, I think, too, for me, that's one of the things that it, that 
was attractive about Hungry Girl is that it felt like a really real world perspective. Like I like what you said about the Oreo cookies. It's not like you're saying eat those instead of apples. You're saying, look, if you're craving chocolate cookies and cream, this is a better choice than an entire sleeve of Oreos. Exactly. And I always said when I started Hungry Girl, it's like there's a lot of ocean between the super clean eaters that are eating nothing that people would frown upon versus the people that are eating junk food and eating fast food Mm -hmm. all day. And these are baby steps. Mm -hmm. Everything is baby steps. And I have no credentials. Like, I am not a nutrition professional. I used to joke, I'm not a nutritionist, I'm just hungry. (laughs) It's all true. It's like, I'm your friend that cares. I know enough. Like, Mm -hmm. and after doing this for 17 years, I definitely have a lot more knowledge than I used to. But um, I am a realist when it comes to what people want, what they're craving, and then what is a smarter choice. Do you think that's why the Hungry Girl brand resonates so much with the fans? I do, for sure. And I also like, you know, I I always joke that I have universal taste buds, which people are like, what the heck is that? And who do you think you are? (laughs) But the truth is, I think I know what tastes good. And I Mm -hmm. think I know what people are going to like. And so there's nothing more fun than just calling it to your attention, like, check out this product. It's amazing. I used to do that at the supermarket. I would just like see people shopping and say, this is what you should eat. I still do it. (laughs) At Trader Joe's, I can't help myself. You tell them to pick up the enlightened ice cream instead of the other pints. I will do that at the supermarket. At Trader Joe's, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're looking at soup. You need this wonton soup. (laughs) You need this. You need this. Sometimes I follow. People must think I'm crazy because sometimes I'll be like shopping with them down the entire (laughs) aisle saying this you need, this you need. Anyway, so this running Hungry Girl allows me to do that on a much grander scale. Well, I like and you've said this before. You're like a food gossip. I, I am. I really am. And I, and I love it. And I love the Internet is like the best and worst of us in, in every way. But I do love that it's an easy way to share information that I think helps so many people. And I, that's the best thing about this. It's that it's helping millions of people literally make better choices, become healthier and all of that. I agree. What would be the top three pieces of advice you would give to someone that's struggling? Um, what advice would I give? I would say the first piece of advice and the most important piece of advice would be unless you're a person that needs some kind of a jump start and I would say fad diets are out. Like Mm. you have to be of the mindset that you need to change your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. This is not a diet. This is you forever. Mm -hmm. So take the time to figure out what it is you could live with for the rest of your life and find things you love and master that. But don't think of it as being on or off a diet um, because that's just going to, it'll do you in. Anybody can follow a specific plan for a specific period of time, lose the weight, have everyone tell you how great you look. And then you're like, now I'm on maintenance. What does that mean? Oh, I'm eating, you know, brownies and a hot fudge sundae. And then that snowballs. It's just, it's not like that. I mm-hmm. think you have to realize it is for the long haul. The next thing is to take that time, like I had just mentioned, Really figure out what works for you. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, the easiest way to say it is think, figure out what your trigger foods are, mm-hmm. what foods really make you eat more, what foods make you crave more, what foods can you not stop once you start, and then just don't ever eat them, mm-hmm. like ever. Like to me, pretzels, it, it, that's something that if I have, if I see them, I can't think of anything else. If I'm on an airplane and they walk by with a snack basket and there are pretzels there, it's like I hear this like music, very intense (laughs) music, and they're calling to me. I can't eat them. It's dangerous. Mm -hmm. So if you know whatever that is, for a lot of people I know it's chocolate. Mm -hmm. So really try to avoid whatever your trigger foods are. 
And then the third thing is, it's not going to be easy. It's never going to be easy. I, to me, and I've been doing this forever, it's a struggle every single day. I would be lying to you if I told you, hey, once you master it, it's so much fun and it's amazing. For the most part, I'm lucky. I love food. And mm-hmm. so I am happy because I love to eat and I have found things that make me really happy. But it is work. And be prepared that if, and, and everyone I talk to who really looks great and has kept the weight off and they say the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not easy and it's not always fun, but like that's life. Is your job always fun? Say Absolutely. Yes. Every say single yes. day. I love it so much. Can I come on Saturday? <laughs> but you, you know what I mean? Like there are things about your home life. Is your mm-hmm. spouse always perfect? Are your kids always perfect? No. Is it always fun to get out of bed and spend an hour getting ready and pick out your clothing and go here or go there? No. Mm-hmm. Is it fun to exercise? Not all the time. But you do things because they're good for you and they work mm-hmm. for you. And it's the same with food. So you just have to realize that it's not just like a day at the beach all the time. It's, mm-hmm. it's going to require work. One of the success stories in the magazine, this woman said, you know, it was about motivation. And she said, look, I'm not always motivated to brush my teeth, but I do it. I just do it. I don't wait for the inspiration and the motivation to hit me. I just, that's just my life. Exactly. 100%. Mm-hmm. That's a great way to sum it up. So, I mean, I hope people, you know, feel inspired by hearing that yeah. and not disappointed, but that's that's reality. I'm very realistic. Well, <laughs> you and I had this conversation the other day because I, I mentioned I was struggling a little bit and I said, how do you, you just look like, you know, you seem like you have it all together. And you said, no, I don't. It's a thing. Every day I work on this. And I feel like that's good to remember because otherwise you're going to get it back. Yeah, I totally feel that way. Yeah, well. Thanks, Jamie. This was great. I love this. I hope people enjoyed this. <laughs> I hope if so, too. <laughs> if they do, they can uh, they can let us know by sending an email, right, to mm-hmm. podcast at hungry-girl.com. We'll be there waiting for it. We sure will. And they can, is there going to be show notes today or no? I don't know. Wait, <laughs> what are we, we going to show the notebook? Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll show you guys some fun images. Oh, yeah. We'll do like early... Maybe we'll link to the first Hungry Girl email if it still exists. It sure does. Okay, we'll do that. We'll put some kind of show page together. All right. Well, thank you, Jamie, for the great interview. Thank you. Okay. So (laughs) come back next week. We have more exciting things in store, and Mikey will be back. We miss him. All right. I'm Lisa Lillian, also known as Hungry Girl. Till next time, chew the right thing.